The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Let me talk to you for a minute about Michael Porter Jr. I know we're foregoing the usual pleasantries at the front end of the podcast, and we're diving in just the way we did during draft season, but we need to talk about this dude because every year there's one. Every year there's one guy who's so ridiculously undervalued after a few ball games, and every year we probably don't put enough time into fixing that situation. And when I say fixing it, I basically mean like taking advantage of it. Because there are guys that have performed more poorly so far than Michael Porter Jr. He's number 113 in nine category leagues. And overall, it's been quite bumpy. Um, Devin Booker is number 123. Nobody cares. Darren Fox is number 266. No one cares. But those guys, by the way, were both wildly overdrafted. Not that far, but overdrafted. Dame is 151. We've heard reports swirling that maybe he's dealing with an abdominal injury. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. Um, It's also possible that dude is cold because, you know, he looked pretty good in their second game that went over Phoenix. I don't know. In any event, look, we'll get the truth on all of this stuff. Point is, for whatever reason, Michael Porter Jr. at 11.5 points, he's the one that everybody is homing in on, and I think we know why. Because it's the 11.5 points. Because the rest of these complete disasters so far are averaging more scoring than that. At least when you talk about guys like kind of in that top 30. Shea Gilgis-Alexander finally had a couple of good ball games, got off to a horrible start, but he's averaging 22.5 points, so nobody cared. I don't know what Russell Westbrook belongs in this conversation at all, but whatever. Drew Holiday's been hurt, so that one's a different one altogether too. You can find a pretty reasonable note on why a lot of these guys are not really getting into that conversation for should we panic? The panic guys. There's always one. I would argue James Harden is kind of in the mix a little bit because everybody wanted him to take more free throws, but he's still number 45 through his first four games. And it's pretty easy to look at, look, a couple more free throws and shoot better than 36% and everything else sort of levels off at that point. And this year, it's Michael Porter Jr. Of the top guys. There's always going to be guys in the like 60s, 70s, 80s that are horrible and people are freaking out, but it doesn't really matter because those guys will be somewhat useful for your fantasy team, but they're not difference makers. Not the way that MPJ can be. So today, to begin the podcast, here is the case for Michael Porter Jr. Reason number one. So far this year, he's averaging 13 shots per game. Last year, over the entire NBA season, Michael Porter Jr. averaged 13.4 
shots per game. You'll notice those numbers aren't very different. I think there's this, I think there's a, a growing feeling that he hasn't been as active within the offense. And through the first couple of ball games, you might have been able to argue that was true. He only took 10 shots in each of their first two games, but he's 14 against Cleveland and then 18 yesterday. After Jokic went down, he got a couple extra in the second half, no doubt. But he's right back at 13 again, which is where he was last season in the regular season, 13 and a half, and 13 and a half in the postseason last year, Denver's 10-game postseason run. Last season overall, he averaged 19 points, 7.3 rebounds, 1 assist, 0.7 steals, 0.9 blocks, 2.83 pointers on a ridiculous 54% shooting from the field, and only 79% at the free throw line. This year, he's averaging 11.5 points on 34.5% shooting from the field. Only 32% from downtown, by the way, after 45% last year. And he's made his one free throw so far, although admittedly, that was not really a positive or a negative for him last year. Notable, 5.3 rebounds, that is down season over season. But we are still very much in limited sample size, and a game where he had four fouls and only had one rebound against San Antonio, kind of clouding that number a tad. The other three games, 6, 5, and 9, put him at, you guessed it, right around 7 per ballgame. So very damn close to last year. Now we can't just pull one game out and say, look, let's take the averages without this one game in the mix, but it is a relatively interesting exercise. In addition, into the other three games, if you pull out the one complete and total failure of a ball game, he's at 3.3 assists per game. No Jamal Murray, he's going to have to pass a little bit more. There's a tiny bit of upside we hadn't even looked into yet. He's only blocked one shot in four ball games after averaging about a block per game last year. That probably comes up. He's got six steals in four ball games. That probably comes down. Fine, let's call those a wash. All you really need to know is that over his last two, he's averaging 16 shots, three threes, only 12 points, because he's 9 for 32 in those games. Let's just, because we want to make this discussion as complicated as possible, <laughs> no, let's because we want to make this argument as hard to accomplish, that's a better way to phrase it, as possible, let's assume that every shot he's not making right now is only a two-pointer. We know that wouldn't be true in the real world, but let's assume that's what's happening right now. Last season, shooting 54% on 32 shots, he would have made 17 of them. Over his last two games, he's made nine. We're talking, effectively, his scoring being sliced in half merely by field goal percent. Nothing else at play in these last two ball games. He is right on his marks from last year in his last two games. One that was half without Jokic, admittedly, again. And even if you look back at that first ball game where he shot the ball better, 15-6-5 with two steals, I think we'd all be fine with that kind of fantasy line if it happened all year on 60% shooting. Assuming he probably takes an extra shot or two in a ball game like that anyway. But over the last two ball games, if you just adjust for him making eight extra shots, not even going to give him the full nine, eight extra shots, 
is 24 points over those games becomes 40. Again, assuming they're only two-pointers. Forget for even a moment the notion that one of them might be a three-pointer. Now he's at 27 and two and a half with one and a half steals, half a block, and three three three-pointers per game. You know what? 20 points, seven boards, two and a half assists on 50-some-odd percent shooting is a top 25 basketball player. How do you go and get him, then, if you actually believe the argument I'm selling you today, which I think you should? Well, let's say, let's conservatively say that you only think he's getting inside the top 35, which gives us a pretty good amount of wiggle room because each slot you climb between 35 and 1 gets sort of harder and harder. Each individual peg, each rung of the ladder that you climb. Let's just say he's going to be top 35 at this point. Who do you have on your team that might actually mesh and you can send out for a guy like Michael Porter Jr., who most people drafted somewhere between 25 and 30 or so. I would say do a little exercise. Look at your team and see who you drafted between 40 and 65, somewhere in that window, who is really playing well. And someone might just convince themselves is going to be better than MPJ at the end of the year. How about Anthony Edwards? Generally drafted around 40. 25 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, a steal, 4.33 pointers, 88% free throw shooting. I don't think that's keeping up. Field goal percent, maybe that gets a little bit better. Usage probably stays pretty high for him, but 4.3 threes? I doubt it. Would you rather Michael Porter Jr.? Right now, most people would say no. I'd say yes. What about... You wouldn't get him for Rashawn Holmes, so don't even venture that way. What about uh, Jalen Brown? What the game of his life? One really, really, really good one, one good one, and one bad one, and an injury game. He's at 28-7-3 with two steals and four three-pointers, basically. Right now, most people would rather have Jalen Brown. That's a buy-low opportunity. You want to go farther down the board, see if anybody makes the grade from down there? What about somebody drafted in the 50s? C.J. McCollum. He's number three right now, shooting 53% from the field with five three-pointers and 3.7 defensive stats per game. You got C.J.? Go try to get yourself Michael Porter Jr. John Morant, shooting 58% on 23 shots a ball game right now and 81 at the free throw line, three threes, 35, four, and eight with two defensive stats per game. You think that's going to hold? I got a bridge to sell you. Go get Michael Porter Jr. I'm not sure you can go much farther down the board without starting to insult people a little bit. Like, Derek White is having a really good start to the season, but there isn't the name power there. Jonas Valanciunas is having a brilliant start to the year, but I don't think people truly believe he's going to stick as a... JV's an end-of-the-first-round guy right now. That's almost definitely not going to hold. Malcolm Brogdon... Second rounder right now, I don't think people believe that's going to hold. But you've got this pocket of players you could flip out there and go get him. 
Because this is going to be a difference-making spin when it happens. I don't know when it's going to happen, but all of a sudden, it will. And when it does, he's going to shoot like 65% for three weeks, leveling off the numbers. It's going to be crazy. He'll probably be a first-rounder for like a two- to four-week stretch in there. Maybe, maybe more. I don't know. But it's coming. And this is our opportunity to get out in front of it. And every day we don't, there's a chance the game happens that flips this on its head. And luckily, it wasn't yesterday, because yesterday he missed a ton of shots again. Uh, took 18, so, you know, that was good, I guess, but didn't make many of them. Shot, what was it, 20-something percent? Still had 13, 9, and 2, two steals, three threes. And if you adjust for normal shooting in that ballgame and give him another, basically, four field goals in it, and he's 21... 9, 2, 2, and 3 on good percentages, and that's the guy you drafted? That's a tough guy to pick up. By the way, while we're talking about that ball game, Nikola Jokic left halfway through with a knee contusion. He tried to push his way back in, and I think they held him out. Sounds precautionary at this point. Consider him questionable for their next ball game. If he does miss time, it doesn't sound like it's going to be very long. Got a question on Twitter about what do I think about Aaron Gordon? I think his fantasy game is crap. Scored 20 points, actually hit his field goals in this one, but he's a percentages disaster who turns the ball over too much, so I'm not... No. No. Nope. Nope. And uh, Monte Morris, like, you could maybe roll the dice once if Jokic is out, where he'd have to take a few more shots. He's a pillar of boring point guard efficiency, but it's not... There's no upside. There's none. There's no play there. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. You're 12 minutes on Michael Porter Jr. in the hopper. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, I think. Just forgot who the hell I was for a second there. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. You guys know the drill. Find him. Find me. Who am I? At D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Or just Google Dan from Hoopball. I've been going buck wild on social media lately. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep up that particular pace. But in terms of like Q&A and things of that nature, it's been it's been fun. I've been rattling them off these days. Managed to clear 8,000 followers. That's kind of fun. I don't know why I care, but I guess I do. This is a HoopBall presentation, as per usual. You can go to hoop-ball.com, get yourself a Fantasy Pass, which is the monthly full-season fantasy subscription. That has access to the premium Discord, in addition to all the other things that normally come with a premium sub at a Fantasy Basketball website, like projections and pickup articles and all that traditional good stuff. But now you can get access to the pros, access to the best of the best of the best, myself included. I host a live Q&A every Monday in our Discord. Tonight, the great Steve Vitovich, who you've heard on this pod before, uh, has his Q&A happening midday, I believe. Might be happening right now as you're listening to the show, for all I know. I don't know the exact time uh, stamp on that. Might be over, but whatever. If you've got a subscription already and you're not using the pro access we provide at HoopBall through our Discord, you need to hit me up at Dan Vespers or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com so we can get you a code and get you in there. And if you don't have a subscription, go get one. And then come join us. Love to see you. Not a particularly large card yesterday, so I figured we could do a little deep dive at the front end of the show. Philly lost in New York. No big surprises out of Philadelphia. I'm starting to sour on the... 
Maxi Thibel, who's going to fill in for Ben Simmons thing, because it does seem like it's kind of switching on a night-to-night basis. Danny Green's been a little bit better. Uh, I'm inclined to basically give you guys the green light to punt on all of those dudes. Uh, hold on to Seth Curry, though. This was an off night, but he's otherwise been very good this year. On the Knicks side, Kemba Walker finally got it going. Played 28 minutes, 19-3-5, two steals, a block, five three-pointers. He actually bounced himself right back inside the top 100 with one good ball game. That's the magic of the beginning of the season. He's now number 88. Is this the start of a run for him? I doubt it. But it does seem like a comfort level is going to start to develop, and every week or so, he'll get a little bit better. So let's hope it keeps trending in that direction. And the Knicks got themselves a nice win. I think they snapped like a three-year losing streak against Philly in the regular season. Warriors beat the Thunder. We had a small free gambling play on the Thunder yesterday. I gave that out on Twitter, plus nine and a half, so that covered Figured this was a letdown spot for the Warriors, and it was. They came out flat. Thunder were out in front for pretty much the entire first half. Uh, then they were kind of neck and neck for most of the second half. Warriors opened up you know, seven, eight, nine point lead, and it kind of hung around in that range for a while. No surprise, really. The Warriors just got done playing three California teams and then got to go on the road to play a Thunder team that's sort of a pastry matchup. They're They're horrible. So they half-assed it for a while and then woke up and won anyway. Wiggins looked better. Draymond Green looked better. Steph looked actually a little bit worse. I don't think they really needed him as much in this one. Jordan Poole was fine, if unspectacular. Damon Lee was also fine, if unspectacular. Those guys are starting to cannibalize each other a little bit. I still think Jordan Poole is worth starting until Klay Thompson comes back. But as I've said on the show a number of times already, there's minimal upside there. And those of you that were yelling at me during the preseason about Jordan Poole going bananas here to start the year, there there was never really going to be a bananas. It's always just going to be pretty good, and that's fine. Pretty good is fine. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, that's two good ones in a row now. Josh Giddy had 7-9-4 and four with a steal, a block, and a three-pointer. Managed to not really screw up the efficiency stuff too much three for ten shooting wasn't good but it doesn't kill you and only two turnovers as well so that one is a stomachable line from him and that's stomachable works right now digestible works we're not expecting anything big from him for at least i would say another five or six weeks there's the the big front end of the season learning curve for young guys and if you can stick with it stick with it if you can't you can't That one's not a one-size-fits-all kind of decision on players like that. Lakers beat the Spurs in overtime. LeBron sat this one out, so Russ went full Russ, 33-10-8. Three steals, a three-pointer, which provoked me to tweet, is Russell Westbrook just a LeBron handcuff this year? Because this is crazy good, and then when LeBron's in there, he's been outside the top 200. Anthony Davis tweaked a knee late in the ballgame. He looked bad and then he got up and just kept playing made five of six free throws that of course is one of those big things he hasn't been shooting the ball particularly well but I think overall on the Anthony Davis front you probably have to feel like you're winning right now he's number 18 in nine cat 28 12 and a half and three blocks per game it's the percentages that are right now holding him down a little bit field goal has been fine but not good at 49 percent and then the free throw Got off to that terrible start, but if he can just kind of slowly work its way back and erase the memory of all these sort of yips-like trips to the free throw line, well, that would do quite a lot for us. And with Russ, 
I don't think, I, I hate when analysts call this a sell high moment because everybody knew LeBron was out. You're not surprising anyone. But if you are selling him, it's really just a like abandoned ship moment where someone sees something good and might convince themselves it could happen a couple of times. Russ will probably be fantasy usable by January. Like, reliably by January. I don't know how good he's going to be, but he's going to probably not be a, a giant anchor on your team at that point. But it's going to be rough sledding between now and then when LeBron plays. Carmelo played 30 minutes, by the way, again in this ballgame. He's been getting big minutes for the Lakers. Went cold here, but actually probably deserves a start in points leagues right now. On the Spurs side, triple-double. DeJounte Murray, 21-12-15. and 15. He went big. Jakob Pertl went big. Lonnie Walker's actually been okay so far. I still don't think I can get behind him in a category format because his value really is tied up in hitting three-pointers. He went seven for ten. You know, if he misses three of those threes and he's 12 points, six assists, and basically nothing else, that sort of doesn't quite cut it. The more interesting note I thought in this game was Doug McDermott leaving partway with a sore knee and Devin Vassell picking up and running 35 minutes with a better, a more well-rounded fantasy game. And he missed his two free throws, by the way. Vassell makes his free throws, uh, he really moves up the board. 19-7-2, two, two steals, five threes, took 16 shots in this overtime game. And yeah, OT's obviously going to help, but um, until we get a report on McDermott, which, by the way, didn't seem that serious, so, I mean, you, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, and that may push guys like Walker and Vassell back out of the picture. But if McDermott has to miss... Even a single game, you could probably trot Vassell out there and hope for something good. Houston-Dallas, which uh, sounds like a, a hero in a Michael Bay movie. Houston-Dallas, uh, Eric Gordon had 22? What the hell's going on out there? I have no idea what Houston's doing right now. They ran Eric Gordon 27 minutes off the bench. Daniel Tice played 29 as the starting center and actually looked pretty good. And this is sort of why I took him as like a 15th rounder in a couple of leagues, thinking, all right, well, maybe they'll start him and give him starters run for, I don't know, two months to start the year. But it's just all over the map with this team right now. Daniel House left partway with a foot injury. I mean, I don't want to say good, because I don't wish injury on anyone, but anything that sort of declutters this team would be super useful right now. Jay Sean Tate had some foul issues, didn't play particularly well. Overall, I think he does belong on rosters. Jalen Green... Points leagues only right now might grow into nine category type performances before the year's done, or it really might be next year. And then there's Alperin Shengun that everybody's been slobbering over, and for good reason, has a really nice fantasy game. Everyone that you watch like 10 minutes of him and you can see he can rebound, he can pass, he can steal, he can block, he can shoot a little bit, but he's also a spindly rookie who has severe efficiency issues and won't get a ton of playing time when Tice and Wood are both healthy. So Shengun here just 14 minutes in this ballgame. When he was up around 20, he was sniffing fantasy value. But it's gonna be a ride. And I'll say it again, I get it. I understand the appeal of being kind of the first one. I'm talking about redraft right now. Dynasty, like, all of this stuff... The answer is very straightforward. You sit on the guy with all the upside. In redraft, it's really hard to roster some of these young guys while they're stinking at the beginning of the year. And Shengun, you've seen these flashes of it. Giddy, you've seen some flashes of it. 
Scotty Barnes looked really good and then had more of a rookie-type game. We haven't seen Cade Cunningham play yet. Jalen Green had that one game where he hit all the three-pointers, but generally he's been kind of quiet. This is what happens. You see these little flashes. Everybody drools all over themselves. You got to get the spit rag out. And then they play like rookies. And everybody freaks out. But it's the same freaking formula every year, guys. They're going to be bumpy. Probably three out of every four, maybe two out of every three ball games. It's why I don't mess with it. It's not because there's no value in rookies. It's because they have a really hard time hitting their ADP when the first half of the season is so rocky. I also play a ton of Roto, where you could call it a stash if you really just wanted to sit on them for a while, but you're not going to start someone who on any given night might only play 14 minutes. You can't do it. I need my games cap guys to be consistent performers. And then in head-to-head, it's sort of a different phenomenon. If they're healthy, you can take the non-zero kind of poor performances and then hope that it grows as the season goes. Like, I I drafted Anthony Edwards in a couple of head-to-head leagues last year thinking, as the season goes, this guy becomes more useful. If my head-to-head team can stay afloat while he's a, a minor negative, he becomes a much bigger positive towards the end of the year. That's great. In Roto, there are too many positives that you can pick up throughout the season to squat on guys like that, where there's there's the question mark. In head-to-head, screw it. Like, squat on it. As long as they're not giving you zeros, it's not like an injured guy. Roto, there's kind of no difference between a guy, between a rookie struggling and an injured player. You can't start either of them into a games cap. In October, I suppose I should add. But overall, the Rockets are just a cluster mess of not fun. Kevin Porter Jr. had better counting stats in this one, actually had two steals. But 4 for 10 shooting, missed a free throw, 6 turnovers, it's always there. And the steals being better for one game does not change what the stat line is. He's going to have a world of trouble being a category league player this year. One thing that's hard about hosting a fantasy show is that people assume you, like, dislike the player. That's the dumbest thing ever. Why would you ever dislike a player for their fantasy numbers? Separate emotion from this as best you can. Except with Bobby Portis. I'll never forgive him for punching Nico Miritich in the face. (laughs) Separate emotion from this as best you can. I don't dislike any of these people. They're freak athletes, and I love it. It's why I watch all the basketball I can possibly handle. But it's also my job to tell you when someone's bad at fantasy. So there you go. Kristaps Porzingis soared back, left halfway through uh, this Mavs-Houston game. He wasn't playing well, and we might know why now. He was actually... I know he wasn't shooting well, but he actually looked pretty good his first couple of ball games. His stuff was fine, and once the shot falls, he'll be okay. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but this is something we knew we were getting into with him. And it's why you can't draft him in head-to-head. And it's why you can draft him in Roto. Stick him on the bench for a game or two. Wait till he comes back. Go squeeze out that second, third round per game value whenever he's on the floor. In the interim, we didn't really see any kind of traditional step-up for Porzingis. Dwight Powell didn't really add any extra minutes Bobon didn't really add any extra minutes. Moses Brown played three minutes. 
I have no idea why people are talking about Moses Brown on the internet. Is it because he had a couple of big games with OKC last year, a team that was actively trying to lose? Maxi Kleba, I guess he saw a little bit more time. He's been marginalized a tad this year. Really, more than anything, they went small. Jalen Brunson went for 11 and 11 in 28 minutes. If he actually sees 25 to 30 minutes per ball game, he's probably worth a look. I mean, he's definitely worth a look in points leagues in that amount of time. He might squeeze his way into nine cat in that, but he doesn't get steals. He doesn't really take threes. He's mostly points on good field goal percent, although the assists were a uh, a pleasant surprise in yesterday's ball game. And then Dorian Finney-Smith, people are going to see 6.6 boards and think it was a disaster of a night. He was one three-pointer away from having, I think, a really good fantasy game. Take this line and add one three-pointer to it. Instead of going two for seven from the field, have him go three for seven from the field and make that one a three-pointer. Then it would have been 9.6 boards, an assist, and a three, and three blocked shots. That's a really good fantasy line. So I actually like DFS. I still think he's going to be an underrated... He's going to be like new Danny Green this year. No one's going to talk about him the whole year. And we're going to look up on the last day, and he's going to be number 89 per game. Uh, and he's going to play in like 77 out of 82 games. He's going to be like a top 65 guy by totals. Market today, October the 27th. I told you Dorian Finney-Smith, number 65 by totals this year and 89 by averages. There's my ballsy call on a fringe player today. Anyway, pick him up. He's super boring, but pick him up. I keep forgetting to do it, actually, myself. Now that I'm monitoring, like, 15 freaking fantasy leagues, I can't keep up anymore. Uh, we already talked about that last ball game. Nothing of uh, major note on the Utah side. Hassan Whiteside has actually been sniffing fantasy value so far in uh, about 17, 18 minutes of ball game. He got ejected in this one in a little kerfuffle. Rudy Gobert played an extra, I don't know, three-ish minutes over what they'd want him playing had one of his brutal free throw games, which, you know, it's going to come from time to time. But otherwise, Jazz are the Jazz are the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell habitually overdrafted. He's just not that guy. There's no part of his game that's going to elevate. He's not going to change field goal percent from 44 to like 49 one year. There's just nothing left. All he could do is add more volume, and they generally don't need that. When Conley, Ingles, Clarkson, Boyan, Rudy Gobert, all those guys are healthy right now. I don't know. Again, I don't dislike Donovan. I just don't understand why he gets drafted at 25 when his per-game upside is 40. Totals upside, yeah, maybe he gets there. But shouldn't you be hunting for those guys that can go per-game and totals above the mark? And then settle if you can't? which is kind of what happened to folks in that like 22 to 29 range. There weren't many guys where you're like, well, this guy could beat this per game, but I still know. I still, I, I still would have looked at like Chris Paul beforehand. He could go above that per game. Even if you don't think he will inside the top 25 for CP three per game is very doable. Donovan Mitchell. I don't think there's any chance. He's a top 25 per game guy. Don't talk to me about totals right now. I don't think there's a chance he's a top 25 per game guy. You know his number 25 per game at this exact moment? Christopher Paul. You know his number 26 and hasn't even looked that good? Jaron Jackson Jr. Kid's shooting 34% from the field, and he's number 26 right now. 15 points, 6 boards, 2.7 threes, 2.33 blocks. 
And he's made every free throw he's taken so far, which I believe is 14 for 14. Okay, so that won't hold. But he's a good foul shooter regardless. I don't know why I'm talking about JJJ. It's not super important that we do it. I just think it's funny. That was kind of like the guy that I didn't talk about a ton on this podcast. And I don't regret it because I wanted to get through my big cash leagues two weeks before the season started before I revealed that he was kind of my favorite post-type guy on the board. Anywho, this podcast is all of our shows brought to you by our buddies at Manscaped.com. Use coupon code HOOPBALL20 on your order. Get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you get from our buddies at Manscaped. Be it the lawnmower. That's their traditional sideburn trimmer. Or just trimmer, I guess, is probably the name for it. Got a couple of attachments for length. Got a light. Got pinch-free technology. Don't pinch. Be done with that nonsense. Got the weed whacker. That's what they call the ear and nose hair trimmer. I'll admit, I still don't really know how to use that. And when I do, that's when you'll know that I've really crested on the age curve. Um, Straight razor, triple blade razor, boxers, shirts, lotions, powders, all that good stuff. Everything. 20% off free shipping. Coupon code HOOPBALL20. Go to manscaped.com right now in the middle of this podcast and think about your personal grooming, and then do it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Put out a recruiting call, by the way, on Twitter today for all sorts, all sorts of recruiting. And a few of you have already hit me up in reply. I will, I answer, I will answer them uh, eventually today. I promise. Just got a lot of things on the docket. We're looking for a couple of really critical things. First of all, we are looking for someone to host Today in sports betting, it's already a pre-established romping podcast we have here at HoopBall. Over on the gaming side, we need a full-time host for HoopBall Gaming to work with our amazing crew of analysts. I can also link said person up with analysts from all across the gaming industry from my time doing it many years ago. Uh, And it's just a, a catbird seat on an unbelievable pod that uh, we want someone with uh, all the passion in the universe to work on growing for us here. So if you have interest in that and you're into sports betting and you're into doing interviews on pods, uh, because it's a lot of interview on those, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. We're also looking to expand into more team coverage podcasts, and we have quite a few that are open right now, which you could easily figure out by just looking at what shows we have on our HoopBall website. But if you're interested in covering some of the young and exciting teams in the NBA, there's a spot for you here. This is on the reality side. You could dabble in fantasy if you wanted to, but reality coverage of many of the teams in the NBA is available right now. Same deal. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Vespers, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Quickly, homework assignment for this evening, and it's a big one. Big Wednesday, 10-game card tonight. Charlotte at Orlando. Terry Rozier, doubtful, which means you can probably go ahead and stream Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, P.J. Washington, I believe, is out already, so that means another night for Mason Plumley. Orlando's side, I just can't with these guys. So many guards that are very points-leaguey on the Magic. Cole Anthony, kind of the closest among them. They've really just been a couple of bigs on that team, fantasy-wise. Bamba... And then Wendell Carter Jr. has been okay so far. I don't need to go down that same road. As soon as there's any kind of clutter of people, and I guess Franz Wagner has been good with no Chuma Okiki, but there's just so many things that are about to evaporate for that team. 
Hawks at Pels, uh, not a whole lot there. We're watching the Hawks mostly to see what's going on with their wings. Bogdan Bogdanovich has not really gotten into the mix so far. DeAndre Hunter missed the last ball game, but he's expected back. And then Cam Reddish has been gunning off the bench, and he's been hot so far. But I don't know. I'm almost believing that it could stick. I just don't like the, the role, the situation. It requires that he get a ton of shots every ball game, and I just don't know that there's always going to be that many. But he's close. Make no mistake, he's close. Indy, Toronto. Um, Karis LeVert got a pretty good report card. We mentioned a uh, health report card. We mentioned that yesterday. I don't think he's expected back yet, but that'll put a big dent into Chris Duarte. And then with the Raptors, we're just constantly watching the front court. Let's see if Chris Boucher gets off the pine in this one. Can he work himself back into Coach Nick Nurse's good graces? That's about it on the Toronto side. And then, I mean, uh, the consequences of that as well. Precious Achua, Pascal Siakam back at practice, so things are only going to get weirder. Wizards. Let's see what Bradley Beal looks like. He's been rusty so far, maybe dealing with that hip thing. Daniel Gafford, perhaps people expected too much because he's been fine so far. He's kind of been that top 80 guy that everybody was shooting for. So, anyway... Uh, Boston, how Marcus Smart doing with the migraines? Will Big Al play in this ballgame? Everything with Boston is health-related right now, which is eerily similar to last season, but they've got themselves back on track here. They've got back to a break-even start, and uh, I have them with an over this season, so I kind of need them to to keep on winning. Miami, Brooklyn, uh, Tyler Hero's playing well. We'll see if that continues for Brooklyn. We're just sort of waiting on James Harden getting his shot to start falling, but there's no real surprises or key watch players. LaMarcus Aldridge on the Brooklyn side, nibbling at games cap only type value. I do still think there's a weird path for maybe like a uh, Bruce Brown, but it's not clear that there's going to be quite enough there, so probably leave that alone. Lakers Thunder, we don't know what the status of LeBron James is. If he's in, he and AD are your only Lakers. If he's out, Russ and AD are your only Lakers. In category leagues, you could probably venture into the Carmelo Anthony universe in a points format. Thunder, they're rough. Minnesota, pretty easy to handicap. Still hoping Nas Reed can carve himself out a role. I don't know that it's going to happen, but I'm hoping. Milwaukee, Grayson Allen continuing to, to... kind of quietly stream along there. Drew Holiday already out again. Tough start to the year for him. I don't know that we could necessarily see this coming with all the mileage that these guys put on because everybody else is fine. I think it's just a little bit of bad luck. They'll be okay. Kings Suns, nothing there. Grizzlies Blazers, this is worth watching. I think we have a pretty good feel for Memphis right now. Start the starters. For Portland, will they let poor Larry Nance actually get involved? He's too good to be playing 19 backup center minutes or whatever's going on. It's dumb. Can Nasir Little do enough to secure a streaming slot? And how close is Norman Powell? And then the Cavs and the Clippers. Cavaliers have been kind of fun so far. Garland's back, but he hasn't been very good to this point. Mostly passing. Larry Markkinen, he's... I mean, he's just sitting right on the edge of it right now. Marking is number 82 while shooting 31% to this point. A couple good shooting games. That number changes quick. You guys are going to kill me for this, but Colin Sexton's number 187. I'm out on an island. 
I'm out on an island with this one. It's the whole world against me. But I just don't believe he's ever going to be more than top 100 in nine category leagues. And I know that points are valuable. I get it. They're hard to find late. I mean, we're literally talking about almost every fantasy fantasy analyst. So I don't want you guys to listen to this and be like, oh, Dan's targeting so-and-so. Not the case. I just, everybody wants there to be beef when there's no beef. There's really no beef in fantasy anymore. There used to be one. There used to be one big one. You guys probably know what it was. We're not going to talk about it. I learned about it once I got to the other side of the fence here. But there's no beef anymore. We all love each other. We argue about things. That's fine. It's the difference between fantasy sports and, I don't know, politics. If you disagree with someone in politics, then everybody wants the other person to die. I don't dislike anybody. I can disagree with them. I happen to disagree with literally every person on earth. (laughs) God, Sexton. (laughs) And that's fine. I'm sticking to my guns. I don't value points that much. You guys know that about me. The Dan Bespris Old Man Squad is built on a heavily de-emphasized scoring team. Sexton, good field goal percent, generally a better foul shooter than where he's at right now. But because of the lack of other stuff, it's hard for him to get inside the top 90. That's where he was last year, between 90 and 100. It's really weird. Like, the the guys on the Cavs that seemed like sure bets haven't been. And the guys that were floating through the air have been really good. Jared Allen's been great so far after really not being all that locked in the second half last year with Cleveland. He's been good right now, attempting to lead the league in field goal percent and making a pretty good case for it. He's number 38, shooting 84% from the field. They're not even blocking shots yet. Markinen, we just told you off to a good start. Evan Mobley's been amazing. Ricky Rubio's been great so far. Cavs could legitimately have six guys inside the top 100 at the end of the season, if but barely, on a few of them. You know, Markinen, Sexton, Rubio, even Garland. Those guys will probably be between 80 and 100, maybe all of them. And then Allen above it. Mobley looks like he'll be above it also. Cavs are kind of fun. Clippers side, uh, Marcus Morris, it sounds like he's out again working on strengthening his knee. That's a that's a sort of an ugly sign. I don't know what the hell the status is there and how long it's going to be, but that bodes well, I would think, for Ivica Zubots. Clippers are not going to have as many options to go small, so Zubots might have a top 100 run here in him, just getting a few extra center minutes because they don't have that many choices with Serge Ibaka still out. Terrence Mann played better in their last ball game, but the minutes haven't really been high enough since Nick Batum came back. Keep an eye on that. And then I imagine Eric Bledsoe will bounce back in this one with his shot, but you still got to like the steals, the rebounds, the assists, all that other stuff is there. Reggie Jackson, very poor shooting start so far. And because his game is so heavily built on scoring, he doesn't get that many steals, doesn't rebound very much. The assists will be okay, I think, this year. He's at four right now and somewhere between four and five So not good, but not like explode your team bad from a point guard. But you can't go high volume 30% and expect to have a good fantasy season. So hopefully that'll get turned around. He probably works his way into the 42-ish range, if I had to think. Um, But again, if he's taking 19 shots a game, if he can get into the 40s, then the good stuff will probably overpower the bad. Because he's a good free throw shooter as well, and his turnovers have been low. So that's all good stuff. All good stuff, all good stuff. Wrapping it up now here on Fantasy NBA Today. We end of the end of the line. It's homework time. 
Which games tonight must you watch? Cavs Clippers feels like a pretty good homework assignment, but it runs almost at the same time as Grizzlies Blazers. I want you guys paying attention to the Blazers with no Powell and the Larry Nance stuff. I'd like you guys paying attention to the Clippers and the Cavs because they're still kind of not fully solved situations occurring with those teams. And then Toronto, way back on the early card, is the team worth paying attention to. So Toronto, Portland, and the late game. If you can figure out a way to pay close attention to those four teams, that's your homework. And we'll recap it tomorrow when hopefully I don't have to do a 12-minute rant to start the show. But whatever, you guys said you liked the opening rant. Hey, please do drop a five-star review on the pod if you have a moment. And again, hit me up if you're into the recruiting deal. It's going right now here at Hoopball, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. I will see you on social media between now and tomorrow. And then tomorrow, you can listen to me yell into the void again for 45 minutes. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great today, everybody. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.